Hey everybody, welcome to TCP Talks with Jonathan Baker and Justin Broadley from The Cloud Pod. In this series, we're bringing you interviews with the best and brightest leaders and heroes from the tech and cloud industry. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Good morning, Justin. Who are we talking to today? Today, uh, I have a fantastic guest for us. We're talking to Ben Kehoe, Cloud Robotics Research Scientist at iRobot and AWS Community Hero. And he is a hero for all things serverless and Lambda with Amazon. Excellent. I love serverless. I do too. And Ben is a fantastic guest. Uh, you know, he's very active on Twitter. He's a very big uh, community person in the Lambda serverless world. And you know, he a lot of the great features and functionalities. I think he he probably had his influence on a little bit uh, with his the relationships he has with AWS and uh, with the community as a whole. So, really great talking with him. Super happy to have him here on the show. Excellent. Let's get into it. Yeah, hi, I'm Ben Kehoe. I'm a cloud robotics research scientist at iRobot and an AWS serverless hero. We met uh, about a month or two back when we, we got together um, for a couple of Amazon YouTube videos that are out on the internet about serverless and serverless at my day job. Uh, but you know, you've been pretty active in the community for a long time. Um, you're someone I've initially really followed on Twitter. Uh, when you talk about you know cloud Twitter, um, you're one of the people whose names comes up really quickly. Um, how does it feel to be sort of known to be famous for that? <laughs> I am deeply uncomfortable with public recognition. <laughs> but I am very grateful for for the praise that people give me. Well, it's uh, definitely we have a similar feeling here at the CloudPod, uh, where we, you know, we've uh, we started to get kind of a reputation, and people kind of know who we are now, and we're starting to get recognized more. And it is a little weird sometimes that uh, that celebrity that comes with something just so meaningless as Twitter, uh, or or something like a podcast. But uh, you know, we we think we're doing interesting work, and you know, you're definitely doing interesting work as well. well thank you. Let's kind of jump into um, some conversation about this. So I know, you know, you're known as a serverless hero. Uh, that's part of your role through Amazon. They've they've dictated you as a hero, which is great. But you know, I was actually kind of wanted to take a step further back and, you know, talk about when you were first exposed to serverless. You know, when when did it go from that moment of like you were working on a POC to wow, this is an amazing technology that I want to get passionate about and I really want to do really cool things with. When when did that happen? And can you help me get through that story? Yeah, well, it it really sort of, so I'm a roboticist by training, um, not a cloud engineer. Um, So I was in grad school for robotics. And at the end of my PhD, I was working on a project because roboticists have lots of code that they write. And, um, you know, you may have heard about sort of uh, problems of replication in the sciences and in, in various uh, academic disciplines where, you know, this problem in robotics is people will write a paper and it's based on some code that they've written, some data that they've collected, and often none of that is public. And so um, it's very difficult for other researchers to then build on top of that or verify those findings or, you know, that that kind of a thing or benchmark even. And uh, that's not for lack of interest in this, but often it's sort of, you know, even if you put your code up on GitHub, uh, another developer is going to be stuck, you know, another grad student is going to be stuck uh, trying to get that code to build on whatever robotics platform they're running on, um, collecting data and, you know, all of these things. And so I had the idea, this was 2014, of like, oh, you know, if it was easy to package up 
the code that you wrote, do some annotations on it, and uh, have a framework that would then deploy that as a web service, that would make it very easy to provide that algorithm that you've designed as a service to other researchers. And so I had started, you know, but again, being a roboticist, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, you know, I was looking at Docker as like, okay, well, this can, uh, you know, help them package up their environment and stuff. But when I got to the, okay, what happens when the paper comes out or you go to a conference and you announce it and a bunch of people want to try it out, how does A, um, it, you know, not choke and B, not cost you a ton of money because when you're an academic, money is always scarce. Um, and so then in 2014, uh, Lambda was announced and it was like, oh, hey, this this looks like it does a lot of the things that I think are um, hard problems in this thing that I'm working on that I don't know how to do. And so I got interested in Lambda um, right when it came out. Then I graduated without really finishing that project uh, and went to iRobot. And I was interested in iRobot because uh, cloud robotics is interesting when you have scale and iRobot sells uh, a lot of robots. And uh, so as part of that, I was able to uh, convince the organization to build the the cloud application that we had there on a serverless manner. And so it wasn't really a case of uh, building a POC. It was really joining an organization and convincing them to go all in on it before we really had all of the pieces proved out um, because of that value proposition that serverless uh, has where you know, you're not dealing with the same level of operational issues when you own all the things you own in a traditional architecture. Um, all the ways that you don't have to learn as an organization, all of the operational techniques for building and maintaining scalable uh, cloud architectures. All of that just comes for free um, when you're using a managed service. So that, that was sort of the, the beginning of my journey. Do you think Lambda or serverless in general has provided opportunities for things like deploying less smart robots um, and then giving them the smarts in the cloud dynamically, or, or, or do you still run all the smarts on the machines themselves? Yeah, so cloud robotics has a number of valuable aspects to it. So one is offboarding computation. The other is offboarding storage, right? You get access to vast amounts of information that you couldn't bake into a device. Um, you get to connect robots to each other. So, you know, ideally, when one robot encounters something, all robots should be able to learn from it. Um, you should be able to connect them with humans, right? When a robot encounters a problem that it can't, uh, that it doesn't know how to solve, uh, it should be able to ask a human for help because we're good at solving problems. Um, so all of those are aspects of cloud robotics. Now, which of those uh, present themselves in individual situations? Uh, varies based on the context. So in industrial robotics, where you have a very controlled environment, um, the ability to have that compute, uh, you know, local to the environment, right? You can have a you can have mobile robots, and then have a big you know sort of data center on site where the latency is measured in microseconds. Um, you can do some very complicated and, and interesting stuff to offboard computation from, from the robots. For consumer robotics, it's a little bit of a different story because uh, in general, you need a robot that's in a person's home to be fully autonomous. And uh, consumer Wi-Fi 
uh, and consumer internet is uh, much less controlled than than what you might have at an industrial location. And so you often need to have all of the brains uh, for autonomous action inside the robot. Now you can uh, you can also offboard some computation because you have access to more computation in the cloud. So you can you can do these techniques where basically you say, all right, on the robot, I'm going to start trying to figure out this problem, but I'm also going to send the problem to the cloud. And the cloud comes back first, then I'll use that smarter answer. But if I'm, uh, but if I don't hear back from it for whatever reason, the cloud is down, the internet is down, the Wi-Fi is down, whatever the reason, um, I will always end up with an answer myself and be able to take action on that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It makes a lot of sense. I haven't really thought about using it in that way. You know, we're starting to see a lot more of uh, those aspects brought into commercial products. Uh, the there's a lot of home robots beyond you know, the existing market that, that are being tried. This is Jibo and Anki. Um, and they're all trying for sort of a social interaction. While that requires, you know, a lot more interesting cloud technologies to enable, um, they also haven't found the right value proposition uh, for the amount that they cost. And so there's an interesting, you know, sort of business and product question there, but there's also interesting uh, cloud questions that, that come up when you start having those very interactive Alexa-like. And part of the problem is that they haven't figured out how to go beyond the Alexa use case, right? When it's uh, mm. you know, essentially something that could be an echo with googly eyes on it. Um, it's not super compelling when it costs $1,000. But when yeah. the robotic action of it can start to grow beyond that, I think we'll start seeing um, a lot more innovation and a lot more hard cloud problems to say, how do we how do we enable this robot to get its answer back in uh, low latency? So this is where compute at the edge, and when you say the edge, it means lots of different things. Um, there's various edges that people refer to, but I think for for this, this sort of situation is, you know, this Lambda at edge or Cloudflare workers where the compute is happening in a pop that's local to the geographic area, closer than, a, you know, a cloud region that your latency you know is now in the single digit millisecond range or lower and you can do a lot more interesting things there mm. as as a side note i was interested to see or listen to the, the google product announcements and specifically that they're giving their their home devices a lot more compute power than they used to have especially with their uh, tensor cores so they can run um, voice recognition and things locally instead of having the additional latency and compute i guess that they have to pay for in the cloud well, you could also imagine a serverless world in which, you know, your Google Home has crunch that a smart home device could rent from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can imagine that there's, uh, I, don't, I have zero idea how you would make that work. But uh, the idea then that you would have, you know, a pop that's even closer, you know, be like, well, you know, there's AWS outposts now, right? Where they, they give you like a shipping container or maybe it's just a rack mount, but uh, they give you AWS hardware to run in your data center. There are definitely compelling use cases for that. They're, they're few and far between, but it would sort of be the same notion, but in the consumer space. How do you bring extra compute into a person's home in a way that would enable whatever companies are wanting to do inside the home? 
But you know, you mentioned Google, and you know, you're a serverless hero on the Lambda side right now. But do you think that if edge devices become more things like HomePods and Google devices, etc., do you think that then that forces actually a multi-cloud problem for Lambda or serverless or fast in general? Or do you think that's kind of overblown when people are concerned about you know being locked into something like Lambda? Uh, if we were talking about you know consumer compute. I think it would probably just go along the lines of the existing smart home ecosystem problems, right? When you buy a device and it works with Nest or it works with Alexa and only one or the other, right? Or, you know, some of those local, is it Zigbee or is it any of the other, you know, non-Wi-Fi networks that you would run into, essentially would just get folded into that larger discussion. As for the multi-cloud piece, I don't think, yeah, again, as a business, you'd probably be faced with a similar choice of saying, you know, which ecosystem do I want to live in and then align your compute choices accordingly. I guess it would depend on whether there was a discount for the communication between them, right? If you were, for example, running, you know, a function on a HomePod or whatever and using AWS as your cloud provider, your difficulties would probably just stem from the difference in programming model. You know, it's not like you'd be, if you were using GCP as well, you'd be getting a discount on the traffic in, or maybe you would. Like, that would be, I think, where the lock-in might come in. But again, this is all supposing that that people would accept having a little device that just burns up electricity. At the pace that we're seeing Alexas get acquired and you know, HomePods and these things, it seems like that's something people are willing to pay for today. <laughs> well, yes, but that's that's sort of the thing, right? So once you when you put you know a, ten, a TPU in, inside there, right, and let all the smart home devices inside the house all burn compute on that, and all of a sudden you've got like a thousand watt device that's just continually running in your in your living room. Can I ask you about kind of your more early early kind of history, Ben? Like what what first got you um, interested in robotics or? computers or any of this stuff to begin with, you know, as a, as a teenager? Yeah. I mean, I've always liked making things move and understanding how things work. I worked as a carpenter for theaters. Uh, so I built sets uh, during college and I chose not to do that as a career beyond college, but the notions of, you know, building things, understanding how they work has always been, you know, a thing that I've done. Uh, after college, I was trying to figure out what discipline I wanted to go to grad school for. So I went and I worked as a software engineer for a couple of years and there figured out robots are fun. Why not Why not do that as a as a career? I totally agree. I've been playing with, with uh, Technics Lego and Mindstorms since they've been around. Do you, so do you have any advice for um, students now, you know, in choosing a career? Uh, should they, is it their growing field? Is it something they should be going into or is it, uh, is it going to dead end with uh, artificial intelligence writing software yeah. for us? I think robotics definitely a growing field and will continue to grow. Um, I think the important thing to keep in mind, and this is useful in any career, but especially robotics, is that the the first thing is that it has to be solving a problem that users have. And if we look at these social robots that have that have come and gone, a lot of it is, you know, what what exactly like it's interesting, it's fun, it's clever, but what what problem do users have that it's solving? And until we figure that out for social robots, um, it's not clear that they'll get any traction. And so I think that's always the you know it's a 
stay customer focused, right? Uh, and it's easy with robotics because the technology is hard to get focused on the technology. And that's, uh, you know, that's the same thing with serverless, right? Serverless is stay focused on the business value that you're creating, not on the technology problems that you're, that you're tackling. So, you know, having used Lambda for as long as you have in, in your role, where do you feel it's let you down and you'd like to see them potentially improve it? Um, or do you see that the days of being very highly focused on something like Lambda are kind of going more in the era of serverless and going with a serverless platform type offering on top of them instead? Or how do you see that kind of happening? I mean, I'm always looking for ways in which I can write less code and own less of the system that I'm that I'm building, right? And so this is where you know if I'm trying to orchestrate um, a set of services, Step Functions is better for that than Lambda, right? And so I think uh, that notion goes towards there are more things that people do today in Lambda that could be moved outside of that. Something that I'm interested in is today lambda doesn't really handle circuit breaking so if you have a downstream system that is having an incident right the lambda that's trying to contact it should ideally understand that and cease to call it as often until it figures out that it's back up and then should start talking to it again and if that Lambda is reading from a queue, that needs to be managed so that the queue just starts backing up, right? And you can do that today with Kinesis because Kinesis is ordered, right? Your Lambdas, however many shards you have, is however many callers will invoke the downstream service and fail, and then uh, that shard will just start backing up. We can't do this today with SQS, and so you can build something to do this, right? It's a stateful problem. Somewhere you need to keep the state that says this downstream thing is not working. And so you can put that somewhere. You know, you can maybe use a CloudWatch custom metric with an alarm on it that triggers a Lambda that turns the concurrency down on that original Lambda function and then needs to, over time, size it back up to, to check on it. But all of that is just undifferentiated heavy lifting. And instead, I you know want a system where somehow is able to inside the Lambda function indicate I'm erroring out and it's because there's a downstream dependency that's down. Mm. And then Lambda keeps track of that state, of that metric, and appropriately decides, oh, we're going to down throttle this Lambda or entirely stop it. And then five minutes from then, we'll try again. And if it's back up, then we'll try a little more, You know, do all the things that circuit breakers do and that container folks get out of systems like Envoy and STO and such that we in the serverless world just don't have uh, a standard solution for, a managed solution for. So you think that's something that should be built into the, the platform itself? Oh, absolutely. I'd agree. I mean, I guess you could kind of solve it with step functions right now in that you could you could tr attempt something and then and then exponentially back off retries until you either completely fail or, or are successful. But it's, it's a little it's a little clunky. Yeah, absolutely. You can you can build it, but everyone has to build the same thing. And if everyone's building the same thing, that should be a provider problem. Yeah, it's a global optimization. Why push that concern to everyone when it can be solved at a platform level? I agree with you. I think that, yeah. that makes sense. Hmm. So do you have any any uh, wishes or any predictions, Ben? I think in terms of wishes, we're starting to see people ask for um, things that blur the lines between what is best for containers and what's best for functions. And in a lot of those cases, I'd rather see Fargate 
be brought up towards Lambda, then see Lambda brought, you know, add features that go sort of downwards towards Fargate. So, you know, I don't want to see the Lambda timeout increased because that's just going to encourage people to do things that might be more appropriate as a container task. I'd like to see, you know, the, the more stateful you need your compute process to be, to have that added on the Fargate side. So I'd love to see, uh, you know, the event source mappings that, that Lambda has, bring all those to Fargate. So it's very easy to say, here's my container, run it with the input from this Kinesis stream. And so I think that would look, you know, some of the, the interesting features from Google Cloud Run, right, which says, if you've got a web server, you can just drop that container into Google Cloud Run and get serverless benefits for it. And that's really cool, right? You get the service handling the request counting per container so it knows, oh, instead of trying to auto scale based on some proxy metric for load based on CPU usage or memory or whatever, just say, this is how many requests it can handle at a time and scale based on that, right? That's a really cool feature. Now, what I don't want is people to, to get the idea that it's six of one half dozen of the other between the Google Cloud Run model and the functions as a service model, right? If you have the choice, go with functions as a service because then you own less stuff. That being said, the Google Cloud Run model is useful for people who have existing things. And so figuring out sort of the marketing angle of that as pitching it as a step up if you have something, but a stepping stone to further serverless services for compute is something that I'd like to see providers uh, figure out. That's great. Did you ever have any um, challenges from the security perspective when moving to serverless? I mean, if, if you're deploying an EC2 or any kind of virtualization platform, you know, the security teams often wanting to install agents uh, they want you know control over the building of the images where yeah i think my uh experience has been um that security folks like serverless because those agents tend to uh be required for things that don't happen in serverless right you know they're 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 watching for os level things now at the same time if i don't put my lambda in a vpc sure there's no network traffic in it's just not possible but I also get zero visibility into the outbound traffic unless I'm using an agent um, that allows me to track that. And those agents, you know, how can you be sure that they're actually inside the code, right? Because it's, it's installed in the same place. Now I can put it in a VPC, but if my Lambda function is contacting AWS services and those services don't all support private link, then I need to open that VPC up to traffic to the internet and I can't really tell anything about what's happening inside that traffic. Could be going to you know, some other user's EC2 instances because IP addresses aren't separated between AWS services and customer IPs. So what I'd like is the ability to have a checkbox on Lambda that says, I don't need this in a VPC, but the only thing it talks to are AWS services. So in general, then it's either going straight to CloudTrail, right? Um, you know, so I'll get the visibility there and don't let it talk to any other source. The other thing that I'd like is some of those, you know, layers provide some of this, but the ability, you know, we've got the ability for the custom runtime, which can then surround everything that uh, that's user code that goes on there. But there should also be a mechanism for, 
I'm not using a custom runtime. I'm just running, you know, Python 3.7 or whatever. But I do want a layer that I can be guaranteed is running um, so that I could bring some of those third-party agents into a Lambda function and have infrastructure level visibility into knowing that it's running. Yeah, I guess layers only really provide you um, sort of file system layering. It doesn't doesn't let you filter the compute or filter the data in and out. Well, you get uh, one you get one layer that can filter the compute if you bring a custom runtime. We looked at solving this this kind of problem with Lambda with um, with Sox proxies, which is mm-hmm. something else we have to deploy. But uh, and again, that can't be serverless because right. of the way that works. Um, it would be nice to see. Uh, uh, sort of traffic mirroring rolled out for Lambda as well as VPCs now. That's, that was a, a bit of a hole. Yeah, well, with the with the VPC cold start problem solved. Finally, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not a problem that I experience, but it's a problem that I, I can I can imagine um, how how tedious it was. If you want to do traffic mirroring, just dropping it into a VPC is no longer a a big hassle other than, you know, IP address exhaustion, those kind of things. Yeah, thankfully, even that's not so much of an issue anymore. So what do you think's next? As I've written, serverless is a, is a state of mind. And so it can be brought to sort of any situation, right? Robots are fun. And applying the serverless mindset to robots is as much about, you know, figuring out what the business value of the robot in a particular application is as much as it is about the cloud technology applied to robotics does that make sense yeah yeah definitely i think we're i think we're kind of heading to a place where we we stop even thinking about the resources that we we rent from amazon and google as, as even being infrastructure and being simply just part of the application or part of the data flow that we build i think there's sort of a balance there there's you know these low code and no code platforms which i think we'll see a lot of growth in but there's also this notion of you know, abstractions, people who are building cloud applications but want to build abstractions over them, or rather they're tool builders who want to create those abstractions. And the problem I see there is today, you know, if you package up you know, a serverless repo app, the likelihood of you never running into a problem of something with the infrastructure inside it, whether it's you know, running into concurrency limits or, or something like that, um, is you're going to run into a problem with it at some point, and so you need to be able to crack it open and look inside, where a lower no-code platform, like that's just the responsibility of the provider um, to, to figure that out. But when it's, uh, you know, sort of abstracted components in a marketplace where you still own the infrastructure that's underneath, um, it's just been sort of tidily packaged up for you. I think it, we're a long ways off from that being capable of doing that where we don't actually need to pop the hood and and get our hands dirty, which I think has consequences for how we build those abstractions, particularly just about, you know, sort of abstracted cloud applications, you know, where somebody figures out, I can wire together some, you know, these three services, these four or five services to do some subset of an application that's reusable. And so I can build an abstraction over this. And people build these abstractions in SAM. They build them in the CDK. They build them with a number of different tools. And all of them purport, you know, the idea is, we'll just use this thing, and it should just work. And while that's generally true, at some point, you're going to run into a situation where it doesn't. You really need to be able to, the the tools that you're using and the the abstractions that you're presented should help you learn how to open them up and look inside. 
Because until we can say you're never going to have to look inside, the moment at which it hasn't helped you to understand what's going on inside, you're just getting thrown into the deep end. Especially when you think about things like uh, APIs being deprecated and or yeah. even service, services being deprecated. Or Again, it's one of those cases of, sure, you can, in theory, always just rely on it, but often the truth is more complicated. And so you need to go in with eyes open to, to understand what you might have to worry about. That's really fascinating. I think we're out of time here, but thank you, Ben, for coming and joining us. And it was a great chat. And I really appreciate your insights. Uh, where can people follow you on the internet to, to get these insights every day? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm on Twitter at Ben11Kehoe, like 1-1, one, one, the numbers. And yeah, that's probably the best place. I'm also blog on Medium. We'll hopefully maybe have you on the show again in the future. I really appreciate you joining us. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ben. Visit thecloudpod.net to subscribe to the show, join our Slack channel, or sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can also find information on reaching our audience through a CloudPod sponsorship opportunity. A big thank you to today's guest, and thank you for listening.